Well, good afternoon, Centerway. Thank you so much. <laughs> it is so great to be gathered together, celebrating Jesus together. Uh, we have some really cool things happening today and really, really excited for just what God is up to. My name is Eric, and uh, we want to welcome you very warmly, uh, all of you that are with us in the room today. Excited to see so many great faces here in the room. Uh, and also welcome for you, those of you that are uh, joining us online, watching or listening to this later on. I know that there are, are a few folks taking advantage of the school break. So uh, if that is you and you're catching us later on, we're so glad that you're joining us from afar. I'm going to talk through some info for all of us here today. And for those of you that are online, a few of these things may not directly apply to you uh, the way I say them, but many of the things that I mentioned can happen on our website. First, welcome to any guests in the room. We are always happy to serve in any possible way that we can serve you. Uh, one way that we hope to serve uh, is to uh, get your information from you. We'd love for you to share that information uh, so that we can follow up with you to get feedback uh, on the on the um, gathering today, um, and anyone, not just guests, can update their info or be added to the email list. There are two ways that you can share or update your info. You can do that via the info card that we have in the back or electronically on the Uversion app. The Uversion app directions or the instructions for that are up on the screens here or they will be uh, sometime today. The app is also very useful during the gathering to follow along uh, with what we're talking about, take some notes, uh, even give online. So it's a, it's a one-stop shop in that respect. There are other ways to give as well, uh, including uh, going to to the Give tab of our website or via the offering box in the back of the room as well. Um, if you have questions about who we are and what we do, if you have feedback uh, on the gathering or, or any other part of who we are, uh, if you have ideas or you even need prayer, we would love for you to connect with us via email. You can go to, uh, you can email connect at centerwaychurch.com and uh, we would love to hear from you. There are other ways to connect and engage throughout the week as well. Um, you can uh, download wallpapers for your device. There's a Spotify playlist to listen to the incredible music that we're going to be worshiping with, along with. Uh, social media, Monday, Wednesday, Friday devotionals. The list actually does go on. You can visit the messages page of the website to access all of those resources. Uh, you can also take next steps if you're looking for ways to grow. Uh, one of the things that we believe here at Centerway is that each and every one of us are in a position where we can take another step in our spiritual journey. No one's arrived, right? No matter how long we've known Jesus, we can always take another step closer to him. And so Next Steps can do that. If you're looking for ways to grow, serve, get spiritually coached, uh, get water baptized, become a Centerway steward, uh, you can check out the Next Steps booth in the lobby after our gathering uh, or the Next Steps tab of our website. If you're a part of Circles, just remember that this Friday we will not be uh, meeting uh, just because of the break from school. Uh, but this, this Thursday for students either uh, and Friday. But uh, for students, we're going to gather for an ice skating night this Thursday. Details for that are on the website. Pretty excited about that. Uh, if you... Um, want to uh, know a little bit more about circles uh, or be involved even in circles uh, in the following weeks, you can still feel free to do that as well. Now, here's what to expect for today. A really good-looking woman named Daedra will be reading scripture for today. Uh, Not-so-good-looking guy named Claude will be giving the uh, Bible. 
I'm just kidding. <laughs> then we'll respond to the word uh, by singing uh, in song. Before we go any further, can we just pray, bow our heads and hearts, and just believe God uh, for what he wants to do in this place? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, Lord, that uh, your word makes it so clear that where we are gathered in your name, there you are in the midst of us. Lord, you inhabit the praises of your people. And so, God, we don't take your presence lightly today. We ask, oh God, that your presence would change the situation, change the atmosphere in this place, change our families, change our communities, Lord God. Father, we believe today that we can walk out of this place or that we could uh, X out of our web browsers different than when we got here, Lord God. And we pray today, Jesus, that your spirit would dictate the direction of our gathering, Lord God. Father, we have a plan, we have uh, a direction, Lord, but we submit to your will and to your authority. Do what you want to do in this place, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Oh, see, I got a few more good mornings than you did. I'm keeping track. I'm so happy to be here. I hope you guys are. Um, this morning, I am going to read um, Ephesians chapter 2. Is that right? Am I right? Ephesians chapter 2, 14 through 18. You can follow along in your scripture journals, on the screen, your awesome Bible if you brought it, or your phone, lots of different ways. For he himself in our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh and dividing wall, I'm sorry, flesh, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he may create himself in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Thanks, Deidre. It's so good to be with you all today as we continue in our essential series. Um, we'll actually be wrapping it up next week and be talking about the, the next series. But today... Um, as we get close to the end of Ephesians chapter 2, uh, as much as we're talking about essential, uh, the, the message is actually entitled Peace. And so we're going to be talking about how peace is essential. Last week we talked about uh, unity within the church. And this week the text actually continues to build on this theme in order for us to fully kind of process what the Apostle Paul, who is the, the author of Ephesians, is saying. It requires some self-awareness on our part. And... Uh, I talk about self-awareness a lot. I think it's because we don't naturally kind of gravitate towards this idea of self-awareness. Um, it's, it's just kind of lost in our society. I think we want to put our best foot forward. And in doing so, sometimes we lose a little bit about uh, who we actually are or kind of reflect on who we are. Um, I'm not super involved in social media. Uh, I guess some people judge me on my lack of posting. I have family members all the time that are like, why don't you post more? Show me your children. I'm like, ah, here's a restraining order. Um, but uh, <laughs> the, uh, the fact is one of, one of the humorous parts of being attached to social media is that people will share videos, just absurd videos all the time. And so I enjoy watching those. And one in particular uh, kind of was shared with me and there was no audio. It was just a parking lot. You could tell it was a, a video, some type of surveillance video or um, security video. 
And what was happening is a person pulls up and puts their blinker on to pull into a spot. And the person that is backing out starts to back out and realizes they can't back out because this person's in their way. And so the person that's waiting realizes they're in the way. And so they kind of back into a handicap spot that's across the way and allow this person to back out. Now, some of you know, if <laughs> you've been in a parking lot long enough, about what's about to happen. This person backs out, and as they back out, they back in front of the person waiting for the spot, and another person comes from the other direction and takes that spot, right? If you haven't had it happen to you, it will. It's infuriating. It's confusing. It's not the person's fault. Like, they just saw a spot. They think they hit some type of jackpot, you know? And so this is what happens in the video. The guy pulls in, and this person pulls away like, Oh, well. And uh, the person in the spot that's waiting pulls partly forward and gets out. And this other person that parks in the spot is walking out. And you can see them kind of lifting their hands like, what? Like, it's not my fault. And uh, the person, uh, again, you don't know what they're saying. I'm sure it was something like, hey, friend, it appears there's been an accident here, a mistake. <laughs> you know, I'm sure that... Uh, that it wasn't nearly as horrific as the demonstrative motions would indicate. And so what happens is this person's clearly yelling at them and the person that has taken the spot just kind of throws their hand in the air like, oh well, too bad, and just walks into the store. And this other person is like yelling and screaming at them and they're standing there and they're just looking as this person just carefree walks away. And you can tell, like there's a moment, this person's standing there, it's like they're processing, <laughs> looking at the car, looking at the person, looking at their vehicle. They get into their car, shut the door, and the unbelievable takes place. They just gun it and drive right into the back of this person's car. It's unbelievable. It, it, I was so enamored by it and laughing and horrified as this person then backs up and pulls forward again and just slams two, three times into the back of this car. And this guy comes running back out, screaming and yelling. And then this person just backs out and the video ends. Unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. This person's like living our wishes. I was like, what? So I have a question as we move into the text. The question is this, why are we sometimes hostile? Why are we sometimes hostile? Now, I want to submit to you that we're sometimes hostile because as humans, this is going to be a shocker, so prepare yourself. As humans, we want our way. We want our way. And even if we're a reserved person or more passive and you sit there and say, yeah, I would never drive repeatedly into the back of another vehicle. Well, I mean, maybe in my mind I would, but I would never actually do that. Even if you're a reserved or more passive person, at the very least, you want to know why another way is being chosen. You still have an opinion. You still have a way that you desire. You just want your way to be considered. At the very least, you want to know that you've been heard, that you've been heard. Now, you know what's interesting? You don't have to teach a child to have an opinion. <laughs> In fact, you don't even have to teach them to become hostile when their desire or their opinion is at risk. We have a, a neighbor with a young child, somewhere around two years old, I'm not sure. This child screams, endlessly. And uh, 
Anytime this child's will is in question or it wants something, its response is to become hostile and it's obvious. It's obvious to the point where it feels at moments like this child has crawled up my body physically, has somehow found a way to perch on my shoulder and turn its head into my actual ear and scream into my brain. It's, uh, it's rather impressive how loud this child can get. And uh, it has uh, no sensitivity to others, is not concerned whether it is 4 p.m. or 4 a.m. It just wants what it wants. She knows what she wants, and she wants it, and so she's going to scream about it. Now, let me be clear. I'm not disparaging my neighbors in any way. I've been there. I have three screamers of my own. I mean, the fact is, when we're in that age, we just, we scream. It's like we don't have words quite yet. We just know we want something. And so our only recourse is to scream and cry until we get what we want. Young children are humanity unedited. At that age, they're literally just humanity unedited, right? Parents have to parent their kids to process their desires, their hurts, and even their anger. And hopefully they do that in a healthy way. Otherwise, we are in counseling as a result of how we cannot process our desires, our hurts, and our anger in a healthy way. Or we drive into people's cars in parking lots. (laughs) The point is, we're all born sinners. And we want things our way. We know what we want. And we want it. I was amazed as my kids were young. And, and your kids, if you have children, if you don't have children, you were this person. You knew the word mine without anybody ever saying it. I, I was thinking, how, how do you know the word mine? Like, mine. I'm like, who taught you that? Everything is mine, mine. You don't have to teach a kid to say mine. You don't have to teach a kid to grab what they want. You don't have to teach a kid to yell no. They yell no, they declare mine in defiance and rebellion. It's humanity unedited. We're all in the same boat, all of us in this room. Anyone listening online afterwards or currently. Listen, tragically, we don't grow out of our humanity. We don't mature out of humanity. In fact, scripture says our hearts are deceitful and wicked. Now, don't get me wrong. We get better at hiding it, or we don't. But the fact is, we still deal with this as we get older. We still want what we want. So get this. We actually equate our ability to act on our desires and our will as freedom. That's what we define as freedom. It's defined as the freedom to act. Freedom is our ability to act according to our will. We actually equate our ability to act on our desires and our will as freedom. Do what we want. If I could just do what I want, then I'd be free. Why do my parents want to control me? (laughs) That's your child if they're Napoleon Dynamite. (laughs) Even... If it limits someone else's freedom, we still want to do what we want to do. You see, so actually it's not about freedom on the grander level. It's about us getting what we want. It's about us imposing our will. Now it's easy for us to understand 
how we, and I say we because you aren't alone. If you think you're alone in this, you're not. It's every single one of us. It's the condition of humanity. It's important for us to understand how we, as humans, as individuals, define these words because as revealing as it is, it allows us a level of self-awareness. If we want something and can't have it, then we, much like our two-year-old version, (laughs) view that as a restriction of our freedom, and we become hostile. Now, maybe not like the illustration, maybe so, I don't know, I mean but we become hostile in ways, in many ways. We become hostile in our thoughts. We become hostile in our emotions. We become hostile verbally. We become hostile physically in some cases, unfortunately. Now, this may help you to better understand yourself, and I hope that it does, but this can't be, or I would encourage you to not allow it to be, oh, This is good, Claude. I just hope so-and-so is watching this. I'll tell you what, they're so hostile. I mean, it's them, them, them. I mean, I am never hostile, except me being hostile towards them right now, right? So resist the urge to think of that other person, whoever that person is, and think of yourself. Think of yourself right now, that we are humans, And sometimes we are hostile. Here's the reality. Hostility has consequences. Did you know that? We love to think that it doesn't. I mean, the video ends right there. This person just like, boom, I destroyed that other car. And you're like, that's unbelievable. Video end. What we don't see is the cops roll up in that place, right? And then being like, you are probably going to jail. And if you don't, there are fines and you are being arrested. And by the way, good luck ever getting any type of insurance again. (laughs) Plus, oh, your car's destroyed. Like the list goes on, right? The list goes on. There's consequences attached to hostility. I want to let you know that when we are hostile in thought, there are consequences. When we are hostile in our emotions, there are consequences. When we're hostile verbally and physically, there are consequences. It's important to understand. As we'll see, this is actually about identity. Hostility is connected to identity. Am I living for myself or for something greater? Because I'll tell you right now, If it's about what you can do, if it's about what you want when you want it, then by all means, do what you need to do and suffer the consequences attached. But if it's about something greater, you need to take pause. Now, don't be foolish enough to think that this human condition doesn't impact how we function with God. In fact, some of us are resisting God because we want what we think is freedom. God, how dare you restrict me? I don't want to go to church. I don't want to hear about the Bible. Why? It just doesn't, I want to do what I want to do. I don't want to feel bad about it. I don't want to feel convicted. And so we literally resist God as if the time, the talent, and the treasure, in fact, even our bodies that we steward are our own. It's as if they're our own. God, I want it my way. I just want the freedom to act. I want to do what I want when I want to do it. I don't want consequences attached to my hostility. I don't want consequences attached to my thoughts, my emotions. No, God, I want to do what I want to do. Why? Because that, 
That would be freedom. You see, your perspective on your life and how you prioritize it reveals your theology. Good or bad? Your life, your perspective, your perspective on your life and how you prioritize it reveals your theology. Listen, the opposite of hostility is peace. And what's interesting is we're pursuing an idea of peace with hostility. Today's text addresses how we can pursue true peace. True peace. I want to reread verses 14 through 15 as we move through the text. It says, For he himself, meaning Jesus, for he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Now, if we understand this in context, he's pointing back to the pericope we just completed last week. And so when he's talking about two, he's talking about the two meaning Gentiles and Jewish people and how those two people that are diametrically opposed become one in him. So Jesus himself is our peace. In Christ, otherwise hostile people become unified in their identity in him. We spoke again at length about this last week. If you missed it, you can check it out. It better clarifies this idea of unity. I want to provide some context that Paul may or may not have been specifically pointing at here, but it's connected in all reality, and so it bears mentioning. This idea of the dividing wall of hostility, some commentators believe to be a direct reference to a literal wall in the temple. And so, like I said, if he's talking about that specifically, that's pretty cool. There's no certain way to indicate that he was, but it was the fact. And so I'll explain a little bit what that wall was. You see, in Paul's day, if you wanted to worship God at the temple and you were Jewish, you could go into what's called the inner court. But if you were a Gentile, and a Gentile would be anyone not Jewish, and so if you aren't Jewish here today, then you would have been considered a Gentile. So if you were a Gentile and you wanted to worship God, you had to remain in an outer court that was much larger. Again, a very segregated society, as I explained last week. And there was an actual inscription on the outer wall. So there was a literal message to people if they wanted to go into the inner court. And it basically said something along these lines. If you were a Gentile and you come beyond this wall, you are risking your life and you'll only have yourself to blame. A threat. If you come in to the inner court and you are not a Jew, you might leave in a body bag. A threat. Outcasts. Division. A literal dividing wall. You see, the Mosaic law referenced in the verses I just read separated Israel from all other nations. So the law itself was a dividing wall. But Jesus died for all humanity's sin, not just the Jewish people. So the cross literally changes everything. Jesus abolished their divisions, which resulted 
in what's called a new man in the text. The result was a new man, a new human, a new type of person. The result was a Christ follower, what we call today a Christian. And this idea of becoming a Christian transcended ethnic differences. In fact, transcended all differences. What scripture is saying is that when we become a Christian, when we receive Jesus as our savior, we immediately have a bond with God. We are reconciled with God because of what Christ has done. And we have the capacity to be reconciled with other humans. That literally there's a bond with Christians that go beyond our societal differences. In society, our connections are based on maybe our ethnicity, our career, our school district, maybe our social status or the sports that we play, our sports teams, our hobbies, the list go on. Those are good things. They're not bad things. And they don't need to fall away. I think there are some people that unfortunately talk about um, these other connections as if they have to be abandoned, that you have to surrender what makes you you in order to become a Christian, but it's not really about that. God wants to redeem what makes you you. Maybe what it is that we do in our societal groupings should become our mission field. So we need to put them in their proper place. It means that you're a Christian first. So let me give you an example. I'll give you an example and I'll use athlete. I'll use athlete for an example. Sorry, this thing's driving me nuts. I'm not, a lot of people will say, I'm an athlete that happens to be a Christian, right? I'm an athlete, I happen to be a Christian. Therefore, their identity is rooted in athleticism. The problem is, you know, I've got bad news for you. You will not be an athlete someday. <laughs> Life and gravity will catch up to you. But if your identity is rooted in that, then you're dashed. Once you don't have an ability, you're not even sure who you are, right? Your identity is up for grabs. So you think, I'm an athlete who happens to be a Christian, and that feels right. But the reality is, what Christ calls us to is that we would be a Christian that happens to be an athlete. That our identity is in Christ, and that the things that we do happen to be secondary. But it goes even beyond that. Some of us, I'll use one that seems more socially acceptable or more normalized, I suppose, and that's mother. Some of us have an identity of mother, and that's not a bad thing. But are you a mother who happens to be a Christian, or are you a Christian who happens to be a mother? That changes things. It changes how you parent. Because if your identity is mother, then you need to make sure that, oh, the kids don't want to go to church this week. Ah, well, okay. I want to be their mother. I want to be loving. I want to be supportive. And so uh, I'll let go there. I'll release here. I'll, I'll prioritize other things. But if our identity is Christian and we happen to be a mother, then we're going to have the responsibility before God about how we parent our children. And I could say father just as easily and the list could go on. You see, it's about identity. You see the connection? Child of God first. When it's properly aligned, it allows our circles of influence to then become our mission field, not our identity. So now all of a sudden it's like, okay, I'm a, I'm a Christian who happens to be an athlete. And so therefore my sport team is my mission field. How can I live on mission with those that I interact with? 
because of this gift God has given me of athleticism. Of athleticism. Of athleticism. <laughs> and we have that as a gift, not as our identity. Now it's something that can be leveraged for something eternal. So the question I want to ask you is, are you living for yourself or something greater, something eternal? If it's about you and your will, your perceived freedom, if you will, then scripture says, scripture says that will lead to hostility. But if it's about your identity in Jesus, his will, then and only then can you have peace. Only then can you find peace. Peace that scripture says it passes all understanding. The peace we're all in pursuit of. But it doesn't end there. This text actually says that as a Christian, you'll be connected in to a deep, life-giving community. That you'll never do life alone. Why? Because there are other people that are putting their hands in the circle and saying, listen, I'm running after Christ as well. How do we stop being hostile, right? That's the tension here. Some of us might be like, well, you know what? This is good. Yeah, I'm going to stop that hostility stuff. Starting now, I hope no one cuts me off on the way home. <laughs> so the tendency is to just try to modify our behavior in an awareness that sometimes our sinful nature lends towards hostility, but that doesn't solve the problem. If we as humans struggle with this idea of hostility, then what's the answer? And it's found in part as we continue through the text. Verse 16 says, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through what? through the cross, thereby killing hostility. The cross kills hostility. On the cross, Jesus took the hostility of sin, the consequences, the brokenness of hostility of sin, and he took it upon himself so that you and I could have the identity child of God and find peace. That's the gospel. That's the beauty of the gospel. You can live the rest of your life trying not to be hostile. Good luck. At some point, your insurance will be good enough to be like, maybe I'll hit that dude today. <laughs> you can't shut down the humanity within your heart. You can't say, I don't want what I want anymore. But at the cross, the gospel can rearrange the affections of your heart. Jesus took the hostility of sin upon himself so you and I could have identity, child of God, and have the peace that we search for. Listen, the Prince of Peace killed hostility's grip on humanity. The Prince of Peace killed hostility's grip on humanity. So here's the question. Are you a person of peace or a person of hostility? Have you surrendered to the Prince of Peace? Or are you living for self? It's tough because we want to be people of peace. Sign me up for that. Verses 17 through 18 says, and he came, again, reference to Jesus. And Jesus came and preached peace to you who were afar off, Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, Jews, for through him we both, Jew and Gentile, have access in one spirit to the Father. Near and far from God, wherever you find yourself today, 
the gospel is about peace. And it's counterintuitive. We pursue what we believe to be freedom, and in the process, we become a slave to sin, and we become gripped by hostility. We want our way. We'll scream it loud. We lack peace in our struggling and in our fighting for what we want. But if we become a bondservant, again, it's counterintuitive. If we become a bondservant, which by definition, according to scripture, was a slave who entered into slavery by choice. If we become a bondservant to Christ, we become truly free to live a life of purpose, joy, and peace. That if we would actually submit the will of our life to servitude, servitude to the Lord, that that is where freedom is found. That's where peace is found. It's hard to connect. Like, wait, that doesn't make sense. It seems like we should fight for what we want. I'll give you an example. The best example that is found within scripture is marriage. Marriage. Now, the way our society treats marriage is that it's a contract. And so if it's a contract, then there's an expectation that my needs be met and that the other person's needs be met. And so we enter into a contract, and then once one of our needs are no longer met, we argue, like, come on, what the heck? I, I came into this marriage for me. <laughs> and uh, of course, we're uh, attracted to one another, and you know, if you're Meredith, you know, she just can't even handle herself around me. She's like, oh my gosh, here comes Claude, I'm nervous. Oh. Okay, calm down, calm down. <laughs> She's so devastated by this. But the point is, is that in marriage, we say, listen, we enter in and we say, I want what I want out of this. And the minute I don't get what I want, then what? Hostility. Hostility. Maybe it begins in thought first. Maybe it's verbal right away. Maybe it becomes emotional or physical, unfortunately. But the fact is, when we want what we want, it becomes hostile at some point. And so we say, this contract is no longer serving me. I want out. But if marriage is a covenant, if marriage is a covenant, then it means we have to surrender some of our freedom. That we enter into something that's beyond and larger than ourselves. Some part of us has to die in humility. And we surrender our freedom as an individual, as our singleness. We surrender part of our freedom. And what is the payoff? deeper levels of intimacy that could never be accomplished if we continued to grip my way. You see, marriage is a perfect picture of surrendering your freedom in order to fall deeper into love. And I say fall deeper into love, but it's a choice, right? It's a, it's a choice to, to lay down your will, to mutually submit, to say, listen, I want this, but I desire deeper intimacy. And that's why Jesus calls the church his bride. It's a picture of submission. It's a picture of saying, God, your will, not mine. And so I'll lay it down. I'm gonna lay my will down. Why? Because in laying my will down, I get deeper intimacy. And as a result, I am filled with greater joy. I'm filled with a peace. I'm filled with purpose. And so the fullness of what God has available is found in our willingness to submit to him. 
get this, peace is essential and it's found in our access to God. Jesus provided that access. Verse 18, for through him, through Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Our access to God is available because of the person and work of Jesus Christ. So are you increasing your proximity to Jesus? Are you increasing your intimacy with Jesus? We move away. You know that? We move away from the Lord. God never moves. I've heard people say like, oh, God just seems so distant. To which I ask, where have you gone? God hasn't left. In fact, you can find scriptural evidence that in some cases God even pursues us. And yet we move. How do we move away from God? We pursue lesser things. We prioritize the affections of our hearts. We fall for the trap that our identity is rooted in something apart from God. A talent a hobby, a person. And we, we pursue those things and we put distance from us and God. We run after temporal things. Do you want peace? Do you want peace? Peace is a person. His name is Jesus Christ. And if you lay down your will, if you lay down your way, if you go against every part of your sinful humanity with a ton of vulnerability, and you lay it down and draw near to Jesus, you'll find him. And you'll find the peace that comes with that. Because of him, we are reconciled with God. And an awareness of that actually allows us the ability to reconcile with others. It's not because we conjure it up. It's because we've been reconciled with God. We are literally transformed by the truth of the gospel. A mark of a Christ follower is a lessening of hostility. Hostility loses its grip and we become peacemakers. We become peacemakers in our spheres of influence. Are you a peacemaker? Do we lead people to reconcile with one another? Or do we create deeper division? Do we lead people to reconcile with their God? Or do we focus on how, in fact, we're different? Are you a peacemaker today? Allow the truth of the gospel to wreck you a little. Let it mess with your priorities. Let it up-earth and upend all of the things that you thought made sense, the things that were worth pursuing. Let it rearrange your life a little. I say every week that the text requires something of us. So I want you, as we go not only into worship, but also as we ultimately leave this place, I want you to consider this application, this question. Where do I need to be a peacemaker? Where is it that I need to be a peacemaker? I want to encourage you to just bow your heads for a moment, if you would, so you're just not distracted. If you want, you can close your eyes. But I want to ask you, some questions connected to this application so you can just begin processing what it is that the Lord wants us to do. Because if we just attend church, we go, oh my goodness, that kind of made me uncomfortable. Glad it's over. <laughs> well, then it was hardly worth your time. But if you allow the gospel to upend things, you can find peace. You can find joy. 
And so today, wherever you find yourself, maybe you have to surrender your will. And in doing so, lay down some hostility. You have to come into relationship with God. And so if you're out there, whether you're present in the room or watching or listening later, I want to welcome you to consider what it would look like to surrender your life to him. To no longer be the leader of your own life, but to submit and say, okay, I will be your bondservant, God. Your will, not mine. If that's you, it's as simple as beginning a relationship by praying a prayer. It doesn't have to be these exact words, but something along the lines of acknowledging that you are a sinner. Say, God, I'm a sinner. But you died for my sin. Would you forgive me? Come and be the Lord and leader of my life. If you prayed that prayer, if you're thinking that prayer, I'd love to have a conversation with you at the next steps area. Eric will be available at the end of the service to answer any questions about what could be next. If you're watching or listening later, you can engage uh, through our website or reach out via email. We'd love to walk alongside you. For others of you in this room or listening or watching, and you're contemplating where you need to be a peacemaker, maybe it's in a relationship. Maybe it's in a, a friendship where you're like, listen, I, it's been too long that I'm holding on to an offense when really the Lord calls me to be a peacemaker. Is it in your marriage? Maybe it's in your marriage that you need to be a person of peace. Maybe it's in a marriage that ended. That you're like, listen, it's over and it's in the past, but I did not leave that like a Christ follower. I did not leave that marriage like a peacemaker. And so maybe what the Lord is calling you to do is something pretty significant, to humble yourself, to say, listen, for what I owned of that, I'm sorry. Some of you will be able to communicate the truth of the gospel in profound and significant ways because for the first time possibly, you will have humbled yourself. And the person will say, are you dying? <laughs> Why are you reaching out to me in kindness and love? And you'll have an opportunity to communicate the truth of the gospel. For others of us, you have areas of hostility with family members. And I know for some of you in the room or watching, you're, you're sitting there and, and some of you will say, listen, no, that's, that's not me. I'm at peace with God. I'm reconciled with others. I make sure of it. And so to you, I want to let you know, you don't outpace the text. You never get to a place where you're like, oh, the scripture had no effect on my life. I knew all of that. No, there's an application. And so to you, I would say, maybe your role of peacemaker is to be a missionary in your spheres of influence. Maybe it means God is calling you to reconcile people that you interact with that no one else would interact with in your career, in your school, on your team, whatever your sphere of influence is, maybe that's a divine appointment to be a peacemaker missionally, to reconcile people with the Lord. I want to challenge you to consider that. This morning we have a, a unique worship set in the sense that it's just intentionally kind of stripped down for the purpose of a deeper sense of intimacy as we respond to this text. And so I'm gonna lead us in prayer and then I want us to respond in worship to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we come before you and, and Holy Spirit, I pray that you would convict us in ways that maybe we have shut down, in areas that are too vulnerable or that we have over-justified. <laughs> 
that we've clarified that, no, it's okay. It's okay that I'm bringing division here. God, I pray that you would reach deep into the recesses of our heart and mind and that you would align our lives with the truth of the gospel, that you would be glorified, that we would be agents of peace, that we would rest in the peace that's only found in you and that we would be active peacemakers living on mission for your glory. In your name we pray, amen. Let's worship the Lord together. Feel free to stand with us if you'd like. If at any point you need to make an altar and kneel down or journal or whatever, like Claude said, this time is intentionally just kind of more simple just so that the truth of these lyrics kind of comes through. And So however you need to worship God, he doesn't need a, a big atmosphere, he doesn't need a concert, he just needs our hearts. He doesn't need your fancy words or good voice. He just wants your heart. And so would you bring that to him today as we sing together? There's nothing worth more that will ever come
my love. 
I know that some of us, maybe the application is super easy. There's just, there's people that we need to make peace with. We need to be peacemakers. But for others of us, I want to I want to challenge you on the missional aspect of this. I think all too often we look and we say, I, I can't help people reconcile with God. I don't know enough. Like, what if they ask me questions and I'll just be like, I don't know. I'll look foolish. Like, I need to know more theological things. And then, then I can help people reconcile with the Lord. But I want to tell you, in Scripture, there's a, a guy by the name of Philip. And Philip has an encounter with God and um, realizes Jesus is the son of God, like has an awakening. And he's so overcome by this that he runs to a friend named Nathaniel. And he says, hey, you need to come see, you need to come meet Jesus. You just need to get into his presence. And Nathaniel says, wait, are you talking about the Nazarene? He's like, yeah, Jesus. And he says, what good could come from Nazareth? And he looks at him and he literally challenges him. And that's in the moment that we would be like, hmm, interesting question. What good come from Nazareth? Well, according to the prophet Isaiah, there's one who would, you know what I mean? Like we would be locked up in some type of theological tension of how we have to answer a question. But that's not what Philip, the eventual disciple of Jesus, does. He looks at Nathaniel and says, just come with me. Just come into his presence. If you'll just meet him, he'll answer all your questions. I want to challenge you that sometimes being a peacemaker missionally just means getting people in God's presence. It means just an invitation. It means an invitation to this place or another place. I'm not, I'm not sitting here trying to build centerway. I'm just saying that as people that proclaim to be transformed by the gospel, if that is you, that missional living could look as easy as invitation. Just say, listen, I can't answer your questions, but just get in his presence. Just come with me. I just want to challenge you. I don't know who that's for, but hopefully it opens some doors in your heart and mind because I believe that we've each been strategically placed in spheres of influence so that we can transform this and surrounding communities for his glory. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that you would seal this in our heart and mind that we would consider the application, the action that you want us to take, that we wouldn't be simple hearers of your word, but that we would be doers as well. And so enable us to take action according to your will, not what it is that we want. We surrender to you and we ask that you be glorified. In your name we pray, amen, amen. If you want prayer for anything or have any questions, I'll be available. Um, the worship team will continue to play if you just want to remain in God's presence and maybe journal a little or contemplate some action. If you have next steps to take, Eric's available at the Next Steps area as you exit today. God bless you as you go, and we'll see you next week. Excited to see you again.